0: Al Jazeera Podcast.
1: The U.S. government is once again facing a shutdown. Infighting amongst Republicans is threatening a halt to this year's federal budget. But what will a shutdown mean for Americans? And can it be averted at the last minute? I'm Laura Kyle, and you're listening to the Inside Story Podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Let's bring in our guests now, and they're all joining us from the U.S. In Washington, Rena Shah. She's a, politi- a Republican political strategist. In Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, Thomas Gift, Director at the Centre on U.S. Politics at University College London. And also in Washington, Elaine Kmark, Founding Director at the Centre for e- Tech- Effective Public Management at Brookings. A very warm welcome to each of you. Thomas, let's start with you, because the US has had more than 20 shutdowns in the last 40 years. We might be forgiven for thinking, here we go again, it's the same old story. But this time it does feel a little different, because it's quite hard to see how it can be resolved and what a final deal might look like.
0: Well, I think that you're absolutely right, that this isn't anything necessarily new. And as you noted, there have been 20 gaps in federal funding since 1976. And of course, most of these have happened under divided government. So I think that it's important to have a little bit of context whenever we're kind of viewing uh, this situation. But at the same time, it does seem like we're at a real impasse, you know, with polarization as significant as it is, it is very difficult to see how these two sides uh, come to an agreement. I mean, to a large extent, uh, Kevin McCarthy is being held hostage by the right flank of his party. That's also nothing new, and it's gone all the way back to when he assumed the speakership. We always knew that this was going to be difficult. I don't think anyone was an- under any illusions uh, that it would not be. Um, but, you know, the fact that there haven't been any real breakthroughs is quite uh, dispiriting, and more and more it looks like we're not going to reach an agreement uh, by the end of the month.
1: Rina Shah, what do Republicans want to achieve? And I realize that's not a straightforward question because there's no uh, one voice in the Republican Party at the moment. But broadly speaking, what are they trying to achieve here by stalling this bill, by not putting funding in place to stop a government shutdown?
2: In this moment, it's very important to recognize that the Republican Party is not united within the House Mm -hmm. caucus. You've got a faction of the hardliners, which are—which is the House Freedom Caucus, the the far-right members, if you will, and then the more moderate, uh, what are considered establishment members, folks who are by McCarthy's side, considered his allies, and those who have a very good memory of what the shutdown in 2013 looked like, just 10 years ago, that was put on because of the repeal of Obamacare. these are members, the more moderate ones, that don't want to shut down to make the Republicans look bad. Now, again, pulling back here, what you see is McCarthy in between a t- uh, rock and a hard place. And and it's been said for many weeks now that he is in this place. But how does he find his way out? One really clear exit at this moment in time is for him to work with Democrats. So as of right this moment, uh, the Republicans in the in the House and, and the House itself has gone home for the weekend. So McCarthy's spending the weekend really slashing his own party's spending bills. And these revised bills he'll put on the floor uh, when they convene next week, just four days before the deadline. This is sort of um, not unprecedented, but leaving many people biting their nails because this is so down to the wire. And we've seen mm-hmm. this before, come down to the wire in such a way. But again, right now, McCarthy's not showing any signs of wanting to work with Democrats and that again last after last week's failure to pass a continuing resolution
1: is his really only good strategy to avert the shutdown. So what do the people on the far right of the Republican Party Rena want then? What is their agenda? Are they actually forcing a shutdown?
2: they would be forcing the shutdown. And they've had the same agenda since January, since they gave Kevin McCarthy the speakership. Uh, Now, they did so by McCarthy making many a concession. And one of the biggest ones we know was that it takes a single voice to go to the floor and call for removal of this speaker. So I wouldn't be surprised if that happens before the end of this year, because these far-right members want to burn it all down. They want to see extreme cuts in spending. They want their demands met, one of them being no more aid to Ukraine. Now, again, from the— On the world stage, it looks like American lawmakers are very united in having Ukraine's back, funding them, giving them what they need to push back on the invasion by Putin. But regardless of how you flip this thing, there are many Republicans in in Congress, and a growing caucus of them, starting with that far-right faction. that don't want to see a blank check issued to Ukraine. And they have accused Biden of doing so. And they're accusing their own colleagues, uh, McCarthy and, again, more moderate members, of doing that as well.
1: Elaine, mm. it's hard to see a way forward, isn't it? Because you've got this agenda by the far right Republicans for these massive spending cuts. Even if they get them passed through the House of Representatives, that will never pass the Senate.
3: No, that's right. And you know, one of the interesting things, and 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 I think um, the previous speaker made allusion to this. What the far right wants really is to burn the house down. Okay, mm. and that's those are Kevin McCarthy's own words. I mean, there's a, there's a there's a nihilistic attitude here. They're not going to get what they want. This is not productive. And to show you how unproductive it is, all you have to do is look at the Senate. The Senate has plenty of Republicans in there, um, some of them very, very conservative. But in fact, they have passed appropriations bills. They have made deals with Democrats, and you have a compromise situation in the Senate. So this is a lot of grandstanding. And for no particular particular good end, um, except for getting people's names in the paper. And the the bottom line is, when this has happened before, the Republicans have lost, okay? They they lose when it comes to shutting down the government, and that's going to happen this time. So what what everybody's waiting for is one of two things. Either somehow McCarthy will pull some of these extreme right-wingers into a more moderate position— or he will do what a lot of people think he may end up being forced to do, which is basically make a deal with the Democrats, get the bills passed, and then they will call for his ouster mm. and he will have to rely on Democratic votes to remain Speaker. And that's a that's a dramatic scenario and clearly one that he,
0: see, he wants
3: to avoid. Thomas, which scenario do you see happening?
0: Well, you know, I think, uh, as a previous speaker noted Kevin McCarthy is going to do everything he can not to have to compromise uh, with Democrats. I think that that would be probably lethal to his own uh, future political prospects. But, you know, at the same time, if it's between that and a government shutdown, he may feel ultimately like he has no choice. Now, I think to some extent it is possible that uh, some of these hard right um, Republicans are, are really doing this in a performative way, just like Uh, they uh, performed during the uh, vote over the House speakership, and that they'll ultimately fold because they will feel like that's the least uh, of—worst of two options. But, you know, at the same time, given their nihilistic attitude, sort of torch the system, uh, blow it all down, maybe that is uh, what they prefer. You know, again, it does kind of get them in the headlines, and they're really not playing to a a national audience. They're playing to uh, the right-wing base. They're Mm. playing to their constituents in a particular district that are gerrymandered and where they have uh, very safe seats and where their only uh, challenge is likely to come in in a primary from the even further right. Uh, So, you know, a lot of this just comes down to the individual incentives, um, but as a whole, it's suboptimal for Congress.
1: And Rena, if Kevin McCarthy is pushed out of his speaker role, we were jumping ahead a bit more. We will bring it back to the government shutdown in a minute. But uh, if he is pushed out of his speaker role, who would take his place? Who could get enough votes to take his place? Because as we've just heard, it was an arduous process even to get him into that job.
2: Right. There's no clear uh, successor if if. McCarthy is no longer in the speakership. Certainly there are names that have been floated, but they don't really have a chance. They're not viable. One of those names is Congressman Matt Gaetz, a sort of younger member from the state of Florida representing quite a rural area. I myself actually used to be a senior advisor to that office for his Mm. predecessor. And I can tell you that in the southern part of the United States, of course, it's very red, very Republican. Uh, But there are more people who are starting to see Congress for what it is. Its disapproval rating continues to go climb, and they do see this performance politics as being uh, sort of part and parcel with the era, but they are growing uh, more and more frustrated with what Washington is not doing. So, these members are not offering anything except for saying, uh, this person is an establishment hack, uh, and they are working with Democrats, and you don't want that. So that is what Gates is proposing. He would like to try to take over the speakership from McCarthy, but he's just not a clear uh, and, and viable option. So it, it would be quite humiliating for uh, McCarthy and his allies. I mean, this was this comes at a time where Republicans need more support than ever. It's coming right on uh, at the, t- you know, at what would I consider one of the longest cycles for president. And in a, in a year where there's going to be real discussions and needs for Republicans to moderate on topics like abortion. So, what the reality really looks like here is that uh, McCarthy needs to do what, again, these far right caucus members do not want him to do and ridicule him for doing, which is work with Democrats and bring spending measures to the floor next week and pass them. But again, he's taken sort of uh, the option that is toughest which is going for full-term spending options instead of these short-term spending options, which he could not get passed last week. And what this really does is highlight um, how bad a government shutdown would be for our country. It has wide-ranging effects in places like Alaska, for example. Senator Lisa Murkowski has said it would be detrimental to to fishermen and people who rely on federal licenses for their livelihoods. Uh, Far-right members think that government shutdowns, federal government shutdowns, don't impact their constituents but the very reality is that they do.
1: Mm. Elaine, give us an idea of what actually happens when the U.S. government shuts down.
3: Well, the the first thing that happens is that all non-essential employees are furloughed. Usually in past um, shutdowns, the military has been exempt and some parts of homeland security. So there's some parts of the government that are called essential. There's mostly safety and security, but many of them have to go to work without pay. And Mm -hmm. as you can imagine, That is not a good option for most people, right? Um, When the shutdowns are one to three days, it's no big deal. They get their back pay. But as the 2018-2019 shutdown showed, that was a month. So, that was a month where people who issue these fishing licenses in Alaska, as Rena just talked about, and and other things, are not being paid. And so, it's very detrimental to the morale of the workers, and it just slows everything down. There's all sorts of things that cannot be done. People waiting for permits, people waiting for passports—you can't get passports, you can't get visas—all of that is shut down. So, it's very detrimental not to mention the the grant-making process. What people don't understand about the U.S. federal government is a lot of it is just sending money to states and localities and to nonprofits that are doing things like drug counseling or mental health counseling. All of that shuts down. So there is an enormous ripple effect throughout the country, throughout the economy, when there's a government shutdown. Thomas, it's just not an effective way to govern, is it?
0: That's right. Um, absolutely not. I mean, this helps no one. Uh, Americans want a government that functions, and this isn't a government that functions. Um, but all, beyond sort of just the general ripple effects, it creates huge uncertainty in the markets. And, of course, the last thing Wall Street wants to see is uncertainty. We already saw uh, with the last brinkmanship over um over the debt ceiling uh Fitch downgraded the U.S uh, credit rating um so that has long-term implications for the servicing uh, of the debt you know fewer people are going to want to invest this has sort of broader implications for for the U.S economy so no this isn't a government that um is working it's not what uh, Americans elected the representatives uh to Washington uh to do and I think to a large extent um you know it, it's a failure it's 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 dysfunction which we've Unfortunately, been seeing go on for quite some time.
1: Well, as Thomas was saying, Fitch downgraded the U.S. credit rating in August, and in, when he when it did that, it noted a steady deterioration in governance over the last twenty years. This is pointing to what you were saying earlier about performance politics in Congress. The Republican parties, the divisions there, the partisanship between the Republicans and the Democrats has reached such a high level that it is, again, it's just not effective, is it? It is not delivering to Americans what Americans deserve to have, which is a fully functioning government.
2: In a representative democracy like ours, it's very important for people to feel represented. Uh, but, of course, you know, we've got high levels of dissatisfaction with our elected officials across the board. Uh, people are feeling more and more that Congress is not only out of touch with them, but Congress is uh, does not represent their interests. So there are systemic reforms that can make Congress better, but a lot of them have not been uh, widely accepted, um, things like term limits, things like gerrymandering. We have the state issue. States have to act and do things in a certain manner. That can square up and make the federal government more effective, the way I see it. But also, having big money in um, in our elections is hugely consequential. What we see that does is give lots of power to the incumbent. On the Senate side, you see octogenarians are becoming almost a norm. Senator Dianne Feinstein of California, who has had many an illness, um, is—and also leader of the the Republicans in the Senate. Uh, Senator Mitch McConnell, who is frozen at the podium and looked like he's had more than just what would be considered a senior moment twice this year. These are the people that are representing us. And so you have got millennials and Gen Z, those born after 1981, who are We're increasingly frustrated because of the way of life uh, that those sitting in Congress have enjoyed for years is not being enjoyed by us. That Mm -hmm. is home ownership. That's the ability to uh, scale the socioeconomic ladder. And these problems are being pit on Congress's inability to work together, to compromise. Now, of course, as a former Hill aide, I know that to get anything done on Capitol Hill, one must reach across the aisle and shake hands with the other side. Uh, So I am encouraged by one development related to this shutdown. As the situation gets worse for McCarthy, on the one hand and he's running out of room from his Senate allies, uh, there is a group of conservatives in the Senate uh, that are tired of deferring to Kevin McCarthy, and they want to see a vote on legislation that would automatically impose stopgap spending patches, mm-hmm. and that would permanently prevent shutdowns. Now, that's the kind of reforms and, and solutions I want to see uh, that are come out of Congress, but we see less and less of these, and there's no hope or encouragement that they will continue to create these tribal solutions. I do hope this one passes, because these shutdowns, are not just a a sign of the times, they've become very normalised. And uh, to just be at the the 11th hour to see the negotiation happen at the very last minute for
1: years on end doesn't give me any faith
2: or restore it in the institution of Congress.
1: Elaine, do you agree with that proposal for uh, automatic stopgap funding, which, of course, would stop the government from shutting down But would it not also just allow Congress to do what it does very well, which is procrastinate and kick the can down the road (laughs) and not make any firm decisions on its negotiations?
3: I think that's a very good idea. Um, I I can't see the Republicans in the House going for it. I mean, I think one of the things I think foreign audiences need to understand is just how, as we say in English, the tail is wagging the dog. Mm -hmm. when it comes to this Congress, right? There are, in fact, a very small number of Freedom Caucus members Mm -hmm. and an even smaller number on the House Rules Committee who are dictating things that go against what the vast majority, Democrats and Republicans, in the House would like to do. The Senate has shown that it is possible to um, make a compromise between these two sides. And yet this group that is really nihilistic—it's—they want to burn the House down. They're cutting, they're in control somehow. Somebody's got to stop that, okay? Whether it's Kevin McCarthy, whether it's Kevin McCarthy losing his speakership because of it, somehow that has to be stopped. This is not the way democratic governments work, where a very small, small minority gets to call the shots. And somehow the Republicans have gotten themselves into this fix, and somebody's got to get them out of it. Thomas, do you have any answers here
1: uh, how the whole of America can cannot be held ransom by this small group of individuals?
0: Well, it's very difficult. And again, I'll just go back to the, the fact that a lot of this is just an institutional feature of how Congress works. Of course, senators and representatives in the House are elected in two different uh, ways. Basically, senators, you have two senators uh, per each state, whereas you know for the House members, they're really representing just a, a small district. And at the state level, gerrymandering has become so rife, essentially the creation of safe seats, in which both Democrats as well as Republicans essentially face no uh, real uh, challenger in, in general elections, or at least in a lot of these uh, places, they don't feel any uh, real challenge. And so the the only challenge that they're likely to face is from uh, either the right flank or the left flank of their party. So they have every incentive to move toward the polls. When you combine that with the rise of out-of-state money um, and just the rise of, of money uh, generally, which has become sort of essentially, incentivize politicians to to court sort of ideologically pure interests. Uh, low turnout primaries, all these things, I think add up to a situation where you get these representatives that you know are are just uh, sort of voicing the opinions of a small niche uh, of Americans and aren't doing a very good job at sort of um, representing the whole of the country.
1: And Reena, you mentioned earlier that voters are becoming increasingly disenfranchised with this performance politics on Congress, in Congress. This is an an important election year coming up, 2024. How do you think this behaviour that we're seeing on Capitol Hill at the moment is going to impact the Republican voter?
2: It uh, remains yet to be seen what the genuine impact would be, because it takes a lot of time to make its way down. But uh, we have to look at the facts. The Republicans have a threadbare majority uh, in the House. And uh, the fate of that really rests on 18 incumbents that are sitting in turf that's pretty friendly to President Joe Biden. And so, unlike in deep red districts, uh, there needs to be compromise to end a crisis that is actually really unpopular. And like I alluded to earlier, I believe that the average voter can see this for what this is. The representative Failing to get something done for them, regardless of what that representative's stripes are, so the stakes are extremely high. Republicans have had control of the House for what barely nine months, and so uh, with that little power under their belt, a little amount of time of having power under their belts, there's there's really a lot on the line here uh, in how their constituents can see them moving forward. But more so, I think it's about the issues. There's so many kitchen table issues, is what we call them here, that are more important to the average voter. As we grow closer to electing who will be our next occupant of the White House, with things like the economy, core mm. inflation is talked about quite a bit. But it doesn't feel like either side wants to address that crisis, uh, of, of also of housing as well. That's that's always a looming crisis. But in reality, it's politics is a feeling, right? And if you feel that things are not going well for you, you're more likely to punish those who. Um, essentially have the reins of power right now. And this shutdown could make, uh, could be a huge stain on the face of Republicans, because it will look like it was the Republicans who forced it, caused it. And again, the blame will rest on them.
1: Dan, do you, uh, Elaine, sorry, do you agree with that, that that these Republican divisions can only help the Democrats' election prospects, even if a shutdown does hurt Americans, if it's prolonged and it starts to affect the economy on top of already inflation and strikes and all the other ills that are affecting America.
3: No, we, we absolutely look. We know from history that the Republic in the last rec- most recent shutdowns, the Republican Party has suffered um, in public opinion and electorally because of their tendency to try to take this to the wire and and cause a shutdown. But there's something else happening too. Usually, political parties have a sort of clear idea of what success means, and success mm. means winning in a general election. There's There's a a piece of this Republican Party that insists on recruiting far right candidates. And what we saw in the 2022 election was that the The Trump wannabes, the far-right candidates, guess what? They lost in the general election. And so far in 2023, when we look at special elections at the state legislative level or, you know, lower down that don't get that much national attention, guess what? The same thing is happening. So there will come a point when this, the behavior of the Freedom Caucus, what they're doing, what they're imposing on the Republican Party, when People say this is too costly to us and somehow people are going to have to confront the fact that they are losing because of the actions of this smaller group mm. of people on the far right. And once, once they do that, then I think we may return to somewhat more of a normal Republican Party. But right now, this is not a normal situation. Rena, last word to
1: you. Do you think that will happen sooner rather than later?
2: I really don't know where we stand right now because I think it's a most unusual moment. Uh, There's, it's not a game of chess; it's a game of checkers, as it's been said by House Republican uh, just this past week. I mean, this is this is not sophisticated. This isn't complex. This is literally a moment in which you're seeing some very extreme members uh, hold um, some members hostage, and this is not Mm. how I believe our government at its highest level should work. So, though I am dissatisfied right now, I am hopeful that something could be possible. Uh, but it, right now, we are barreling towards that shutdown, and I don't think it would be very uh, short, uh, But and, and I do think it look, makes us look weak on the world stage, particularly when it comes to our defense spending. So as somebody who wants to see America put first time and again, I think our lawmakers should put their heads together, do the right thing, and maybe work on a creative solution or two.
1: Well, we'll be certainly revisiting this subject again over the coming week, maybe weeks. It's a very busy week ahead in Congress. Thanks very much to our guests for joining us today, Rena Shah, Thomas Gift, and Elaine Kamark. This episode was produced by Mohamed al aichi Vinton Monahan, Michael Harwood, and Jimmy Gettahun. Studio sound was by Suraj Sankar. The programme was edited by George Joseph, Zainabada, and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening, and tune in on Sunday for our next episode. We live in a world where the news is at our fingertips, where we're one-click or swipe away from the latest headlines. But how often do we stop swiping and scrolling and just listen? It's the difference between knowing what's in the headlines and understanding how it got there. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take, Al Jazeera's daily news podcast, where we bring you the context and the people behind the global stories that matter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.